Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We're having, yeah, the, us, we're having some audio issues. Anyway, look, look anyway. You, you guys say audio issues, and all I hear is really good audio in my ears. <laughs> I see three cameras. Yep. Like, this yeah. setup is legit. Oh, we're recording in six places. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, you know, yeah, we, we try to record with as much redundancy as we can, just in case. That's because you're a responsible-ass human being, Jim. And I'm not even being funny, which is rare. In, in this fitness space, that's there's true. probably three in the entire, like, Four million people to participate. Jim Bart Guzman, the Goose. Yeah, that's heady company for. for They're me. responsible humans. Omar and I are jokes. That's why I'm here to give the punchline. You, you seen Minority Report with Tomothy Cruz? Yeah, our favorite. Uh, but his uh, just that computer. Yep. I know that's got to be somewhere yep. in the world. And the one my, where he touches it with his hands. And it's my goal is to make that entire wall that, and it'll be your prompter <laughs> for this whole episode. The um, whole wall of like what's going on. Yeah. Just anything we want. Hot, hot news will pop up. Yeah. Uh, hot chicks will pop up. Hot coffee will pop up. Everything hot. All things hot. Nothing cold. No cold. Well, you know what? I'm surprised at, guys. I've been here, obviously, in January. This is now February. Um, January. It's cool. Oh, uh, it's cool. weather-wise. I was like, yeah. why were you here in January? Yeah. Like, what's the current? I, I, I couldn't say. I do know a little bit about Fahrenheit, but what's it, Jim? 50? <laughs> I'm going to guess like 50? 50? 57. Yeah. 57. Yeah, okay. I would say 50. Our normal winter's 50 to 60, and then this one's just been a little wet. No wet. A little More wet. than a little bit wet. We had like this storm. I don't know if it was El Nino's, Nino's cousin or something, but he was angry. Oh, and no. there was like 70 mile per hour winds going crazy. Well, it, it's just a good thing that climate change isn't real. Um, all, all it is, people just forget how warm it used to be back in the day. You know what I'm saying, Jim? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, look, dude, as soon as I heard we're putting woolly mammoths. Winter was more is more a myth fabricated by companies. It never really happened. Like the whole the whole it's like Valentine's thing. Day. Yeah, yeah. It was hot all year. In thirty years, when it's hot all year round, you know. Yeah. What about the woolly mammoth that were thrown in Russia? What do you mean? 
I heard someone's making Jurassic Park in Russia. Oh, no. With a woolly mammoth. I don't know how far along we are, Jim. Maybe you can answer this with the cloning process. I know. Oh, like, no. It's, and so forth. I'm thinking you can do anything. But with extinct, so you need a, what, frozen tissue sample so it'd be preserved, and right? Then and I you think, get the hair yeah, or something. And then they put it in with DNA from, a uh, like, a close relative. So like they're doing, an elephant. They're doing an Indian elephant. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and then they're going to see what kind of flora, giant flora and shit can uh, make it out there in Siberia. So after the, what is it, uh, Cretaceous period, uh, the, so the last like 65 million years, there are some fascinating mammals. I'm not going to, uh, Balthicaria, like on, I'm, I'm blanking on, but it was a huge mammal. I'm talking the biggest one that's ever existed. And it was astonishing. Is it like, uh, I don't think a sloth's a mammal, is it? I don't even know. But there was a yes, giant sloth that was crazy. Yeah. I, so I, I, it starts with a B, and I, I, I'm going to uh, butcher it. But it was absolutely massive. And everyone forgets because they just focus on dinosaurs. And right. there actually are uh, some fascinating books on not just dinosaurs, but the marketing behind, obviously making them popular in uh, some of the museums yeah. and how it was a curio because, like, wait a second, these large creatures existed before, which is absolutely true. But I'm just saying... They're the just ones- large chickens. They're not even that cool. <laughs> right? It, everything was larger because of, I think, the higher level of oxygen. I'm just... I'm, I'm, no, this is no. my breakfast right now, this energy drink. But there's... Uh, uh, cre- creatures were bigger. Well, like we're, in the Jurassic, Jurassic we purely period. flew you down because you're oh, no. a spokesman for the History Channel. Oh, That's why we we're not talking yeah. fitness. There we go. We're talking dinosaurs. Uh, yeah, I was going to say t- like two things. One of them is, are you aware that like most of the dinosaurs we think of as, have ha- as having existed didn't really exist? They were sort of different life stages of the same ones. It was all like, I discovered this, so I'm going to put my name on it, and then has to live forever, even though it was an adolescent whatever, whatever. Yes. So I, I am acutely aware that a lot of things that people assume to be true, let's say about dinosaurs or anything like uh, going far back, are either wrong, fabricated, or just a really good spin on it. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, speaking of the History Channel, is there like a caveman fitness version of this? Like like end of the dinosaurs, beginning of the rise of, of the two-legged mammals? Is there like a workout in there somewhere? Yeah, that we could throw in a little, little yeah. promo up in there. Strong man. Man. I mean, so, you know, back in the day... When men were men, and they used to just do their lifting. Now we're pansies with barbells. You know, it's funny. So, uh, Jim, I made this. I forget where I made this joke, but it's the truth that uh, someone once said there's no weight classes in the jungle. True. And that person clearly has never been to the jungle. My father did grow up. Yeah, because little things are getting eaten for sure. Yeah. My father did grow up legitimately in the jungle. Um, One, it would be incredibly hot. The high prevalence of mosquitoes would be unlike anything someone yeah. has fathomed. Yeah. The let's say your resistance to some of the things like uh, what is it, a dang a fever, like malaria, all those sorts of things that are just Dengue atrocious. Fever. Yeah. Just is just, that real? Yeah. 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 Jim, give the rundown of what it is. Oh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what the symptoms are. I just know this that is fifty percent facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, don't hey, come at us like that. that. That's why I, I came in just vibing. Right. I had a new breakfast. name today. What? That were fifty percent mama boys. Oh, I like that's that. Cute, I, right? I do like that. I do like. We had we had that cult following. Okay, there was. The, but I was going to say, uh, Mike, that um, just on that, like, there's no weight classes and so forth. I love that powerlifting mantra. Yeah. You know what I mean? That I do too. Have. That's how I live what my life. Say? I say that in the mirror to myself every day. <laughs> yeah. I was holding my belly fat. Like that. That is something basically the heavyweights would say to make themselves feel better. But in yeah. an abs- I, I think the kernel of what that individual is obviously attempting to say is that in a no holds bar scenario, right. weight classes wouldn't matter. We're simply looking at the strongest. But that's not what makes sports interesting. Like in MMA, we enjoy. I like watching 145, 155 fighters. If they're to fight against a super heavyweight, there's there's 
if they're equally skilled yeah. in their division, so they're both champs, there's like a zero percent chance. I don't want to play devil's advocate, but I did kind of, and I know you did too. What? Like early MMA, of where it's just anybody, where there was no weight classes. Boys but Gracie, the, yeah, yeah. Up. But the issue is, you're right that the sports are too advanced and too specialized now. to now do that because someone's yeah. going to die. Yeah. But yeah. I hypothetically, I do like no weight classes, and I think. I agree with you. And the other thing that those people live by is that their goal, and I, and, I, and this is like the positive end of it, or at least the part that I can semi-relate to, is that their ultimate goal is just that uh, I got into lifting to be the strongest I can. Yep. I didn't get into lifting to play the scores game. And so there's a piece of that I enjoy as well. But if you want to be a competitor, you got to play a sport. Yep. <laughs> and so the no weight classes is not a sport. Yep. Now, now you're just more of like a show. And it's always interesting when someone will say something that biases wherever they are. Of course. Meaning that yeah. if you're a super heavyweight and thus there'd be no coefficients, right. you would want that. But I think what's almost more interesting, and this is the counter argument to that, that if you look at a population distribution, a standardized distribution, there's more people that would be competing in the 83 kilo class. So you actually, right. the talent pool of people that would be competing at that weight class is actually be more significantly difficult. higher. Yeah. So even though your total's not higher, your level of competition right. would be. And that's why, speaking about MMA, there's a lot of heavyweight fighters, uh, Jim, that would do exceptionally well that didn't have the basis, like the footwork, the yep. time, because mm -hmm. they had just KO power, whereas a 125, 135 has to be so skilled in so many positions because there's so much uh, competition. Yeah, the only yeah. difference is the UFC's heavyweight's, what, 220? Which yeah. on the bell curve is yeah. probably more likely yeah. than when yes. super heavyweight yeah. and powerlifting. How many 308 I think 309, yeah. 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 You have to weigh 309, which is so rare. Yeah. You're right, though. Uh, and you find that easily in the, the tested federations. It gets a little bit more skewed when you go untested, obviously, because body tissue, you can just like build more body tissue and yep. shit. Because uh, the 83 kilo and the 93, I don't even know what it is anymore, or 80... 83, 83, 90, 83, for 181 one? and 198 pounds yep. uh, are like two of the most competitive in the USAPL now. Yep. And yep. it makes sense. So they do 198 in USAPL instead of 93 kilos like IPS, which is like 205. So yeah, they, they went, switched back. Yeah, they switched back to the other American stuff, which I don't mind. Uh, one, freedom units. Fuck you, Omar. <laughs> two, uh, uh, the rest of our federations use it. Yeah. So I like it more that you can compare now the WRPF and these other feds because sure. the weight classes are the exact same. You know what I was going to say is that we were having this conversation, uh, Jim, at dinner the other day. Uh, won't list, uh, list the prolific powerlifter that in our time was super popular, very notable, um, someone not uh, from the U.S., but one of the all-time greats. But just the idea how, uh, how, how would we say this, transient the nature of lifting is, that we don't have that legacy and that established kind of mythos, shared mythos, that we all agree on these set people who have done things. Yeah. And we don't have places for them where they're almost like early MMA fighters where they're now being forgotten, yeah. even though what they did paved the way for the powerlifters of 2023 case in point if you are a prominent 2015 powerlifter and most of those were on the untested side your social currency is at an all-time low or not even social yeah like within Finance, yeah your yeah. your sporting your legacy sport, all yeah. of it that is sad and maybe i'm going to sound like the old guy but i find that that's happening everywhere um and maybe it is you motherfucking Zoomers. It might be Mike, you, you think? Or no, basketball. I, oh, really? I feel like everywhere is starting to like kind of throw shade at the old generations where the Jordan-LeBron arguments, obviously like the most popular one that we can yeah. do this with, um, but you can do the John Hack, Ed Cohn. We can do whatever the fuck yep. we want. But basketball is obviously more prevalent worldwide. Um, or Messi, Pele, doesn't yep. really matter. Yep. 
like those debates should be fun yeah uh, because there is no answer and the answer doesn't matter yep. um and then two like you can't just say like oh lebron's born in the 60s he crushes everybody it doesn't count that way you have to compare um, to the competition yeah the and and some of these newer lifters are I assume newer lifters also don't know who Ed Cohn is, although I don't talk to a bunch of 21-year-old lifters that much. Um, but basketball players, I've heard interviews that kind of talk that way. Like, oh, dude, Magic wasn't even that good. I'm like, dude, what Magic did for the league and the sport, like, you literally wouldn't be there. Yeah. The hindsight to that, there are some people that do understand. Where uh, Shout out to our boy Pug. I was having dinner with Pug, and we talk a lot of shit together. And I was talking shit, and... Uh, they're all trying to get me come back and do a meet. They're like, yep. dude, Mike, you could probably be top five, top ten again if you go hard. And I'm like, I probably could, but I probably couldn't. Um, and they were making fun of me for the shit we did, right? Because we did keto and we did West Side, and yep. I had to do everything because there was nothing else out there in you this paved world. Paved the way for them. And Pug jokingly said that he's like, dude, if you trained, if you started training the way I started training, you'd probably be hella strong now. I'm like, yeah, you dumb bitch. Like I had yeah. to crawl so you can sprint out here. Yeah. And Pug <laughs> is incredibly strong and, and smart and understands programming, but like. We had to fiddle, and I think it was the last time we talked to you and Eric. I don't know if it was this uh, studio or the past studio. Um, it was the last one, yeah. Yeah, I was risen at Eric a little bit because you mentioned how he used to program basically West Side style lifting for Bryce Lewis and his lifters. And I was like, dude, I know you're so bad or something. And he's like, dude, we didn't know either. Yeah. Like I was like, yeah, I know, I'm kidding, but like none of us knew. You you took the tools you knew and then tried to manipulate them, but we didn't know about different styles of periodization that worked or, or how how much frequency we could handle. No, 100%. But the new kids aren't even looking back at that because you have to look back at it to learn. So I will say this. I believe in the youth of the future. Because, I don't. Uh, I believe the children are future. Because I genuinely, um, in that it's, it's they're being through like coercion via social media, things like, you know, whatever. Like it, it doesn't matter what platform, but basically everyone's fighting over the same shared legacy, which is history, how we remember it. And, you know, it has been said that History is written by the victors, but also... That's why uh, we win it, baby. <laughs> That's why we don't lose. As humans, it's basically our collective agreement of what transpired in the past. And so it becomes more important if someone wants to cement their place, you're fighting over the same real estate because there's yeah. only so many people that could be in the conversation. Not everyone yeah. can win. So when we talk about LeBron, it's a conversation of who's the GOAT, right? Like between him or MJ, there could theoretically only be one MJ won LeBron. Who is the GOAT? Can I make an argument or Go. a side note? How much people use GOAT or goaded nowadays? Yeah. Where it's, it's annoys the shit out of me, to be honest. Well, like the term is whatever, but they're literally using it wrong, right? It yeah. stands for the greatest of all time. Yeah. And they use it when they say everyone. Yeah. Like, oh, Kevin Durant's GOAT. Oh, Kobe's GOAT. I'm like, no, there, there's one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, no. I, I, yeah, there's fucking one. My bad. Go ahead. No, but I, I, it's I'll, like Highlander. There yeah. can only there, there could be only one. one. You know what my favorite part about that, uh, Jim, and we're just going to go off on that tangent because <laughs> Highlander's an iconic film that, like, in my personal opinion, in terms of cinema, and it's an action film. There are parts that are really good, like the opening scene, uh, Jim, where they're in the garage and the lightning and the lights go out and that battle, epic. The idea that each is uh, through some reason that they can't even explain are attracted to one another and they must battle for supremacy. Mm -hmm. Cool in theory. My favorite was Sean Connery, who's what? He's Welsh? Yeah. Uh, right? And, uh, the, and the guy who plays, I'm blanking on his name. Jim, do you remember? Lead actor of uh, Highlander, who was uh, rated in Mortal Kombat. He's Belgian. I believe he's Belgian. Uh, Belgian. Lambert? Yes, Christopher Lambert. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So he's Belgian. And so when he speaks English, he has that accent. But he's supposed to be Scottish. So this is now we're doing a lot of, a lot of different regions here. Yeah. But he's supposed to be Scottish. 
And uh, Sean Connery's supposed to be Spanish, right? Yes. Yes. And so, how bad is his accent? So, Christopher Lambert putting on the Scottish accent, not great, but like kind of acceptable. Sean, despite being Welsh, sounds a lot more in that pocket, Uh but he's supposed to be a Spanish person. And the line he says to Christopher Lambert, I believe while they're like fishing or something, he's like, tell me of this land of Scotland, for I know not of its ways. <laughs> and he says that. And Christopher Lambert, he's he's speaking with his like Belgian, like French accent. He's like, uh, Scotland. And he starts talking yeah. about it. I'm like, bro, this is such funny casting. This is so you know fucked, what you think yeah. about it? So yeah. fucked. Should have yeah. flipped that around. Uh, yeah, uh, the casting. What were they thinking? I don't have any idea. We want to make money. We have Sean Connery. Let's yeah. put him somewhere. Well, he he doesn't like last the whole film, right? I've been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, no, he gets mo- so spoiler. Uh, so uh, Sean does not make it to the end. Yeah, this this movie's forty years old. You guys can that, fucking yeah. deal with the spoilers. Yeah. I wanted to watch it. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, interestingly enough, another uh, iconic film for all the wrong reasons that he was in. Do you remember Zardo's? Yeah, with yeah. that. That outfit, thank you. Okay, yes. so I think it takes place, I could be wrong. Again, this is 50% facts. I think it takes place around 2023. So uh, they're trying to extrapolate 40 or 50 years yeah. from now. I think it's like it's like something around here, guys. Yeah. What's you wearing? Oh, it's uh, it's hot. It's essentially it's like a, a, a loincloth. Yeah, and shit. but oh, it's a kind of backwards. And he has and he has a, a braided hair that he wears to one side. Long hair has the kind of like full, a Jedi braid type deal. Uh, no, it's you full missed, on. Oh, no, you missed my on. Jedi braid era. I, so I saw it a bit. What what year is it? Twenty two ninety three. Oh, twenty two. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so I remember twenty two ninety. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought like twenty twenty three. Yeah. So that's even funnier because they are. Do we I, regress kind of like a Wally type deal? Uh, so, so an interesting part about trying to extrapolate into like if you actually do hard science fiction is that we can't correctly anticipate right. the future technological innovations and you only have to take a historical look. So if you look at like 1920, 1915, 1970, what they predicted would be the biggest new technological innovations. Yeah. They're always wrong. 1920, flying cars, whatever the yeah, case well, might be. Yeah, we were time traveling. Isn't... Uh, back yeah, that's the, it right there. That's the... That's kind of hot. That guy, uh, without the, with a harder mustache and a little more muscle, might be you. So I'm going to say this about that's Sean. That's a honk. So let's be clear. Sean said some very like regressive things, which is why he, he did, got yeah. sat out. Yeah. So I'm he not did. condoning it. But one thing I will say, interesting little fact that's relevant here, and Jim, I think you know this. <laughs> He did have amateur bodybuilding, and he actually looked good. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. He Sean did. Connery. He was, no, legit. Or yeah, he was that like Mister Mister Universe or yeah, something like, like that. Not, back I don't when, know. Yeah. and when it was just people who worked out. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, no, That's and he actually cool. looks solid. Also, cool. he's filling that that loincloth in a well. really special way. Yes, yeah. that's Sean Connery. I didn't know he's so hairy. I, I would say it didn't. The the contour of his loincloth is not traditionally what I would assume genitals in a loincloth would look like. So I'm not trying to imply there's padding. Are you saying you've never done? You've never dressed up for funsies. You can see his face here. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. That's not really. The I, like the gu- I like the gun to one side too. <laughs> yeah, who are you shooting? Yeah, who are you shooting? They, this gun's they, dressing to one side. They they took a they took the photo and they said that's it. That's <laughs> yeah. the one. This is the one. I, a million years ago, I was assistant manager of a uh, uh, audio video store. I want to say like it it was a record store that yep. had VHS tapes, and this was a, a film that we rented all the time. So, Jim, let me just say, man, one of the things I respect about you, and I'm being serious in a rare moment here, is that you take an interest in the details, and it is having attention to detail that I think matters in a lot of things, either like the whole setup here, uh, the technical component, but also those considerations, they really do matter. I think sometimes people become, when it comes to content creation, 
people will use that as a limiting barrier belief to getting into it. And they'll think the next logical leap they'll need for their content to go in quotations next level is a a technical innovation. So I'm not saying that, but having care to each component is important. That's an underrated, like even these, like I'm not joking, like these chairs are comfy. You know what I mean? Like this studio sets a vibe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He set this whole thing up. He chose all the decor. He did everything. And same with like, yeah, the gym too was obviously collaborative, but I agree with you. But opposite of that too, we're like a dichotomy where content creators or wannabe entrepreneurs um, will think that that stuff's the limiting factor, yeah. but then also always take the easy route. Not always, but you know what I mean? Like they'll make cheap clothes, they'll make a cheap yeah. gym, they'll make a cheap podcast, yeah. and, and like, you know what I mean? It's like kind of split half and half. So my the question, there's a lot of kids now that'll ask me like, hey, like, oh, what should I do if I want this and that? And I'll say, I want to be a male stripper. Yeah, to be, I'm like, hey, that dancing takes some skill. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Practice, 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 practice. Uh, and the question I ask them, because they base, the, the question they're really asking is how to become famous. Right. <laughs> and the better question they should ask is why do they want to be famous? Not if they did that examination, they would probably cease the intent of what they're trying to do, which is like to go through, they want the validation, which is yeah. totally normal in this modern social media age. I also like validation. But Mike, the question I asked them, which is the far better question, and once they have that answered, I think they'll become unstoppable in terms of being a long-term content creator, and it's the uncomfortable one, is why should people follow you? Why should people listen to you? What separates you from everyone else? What's your skill set? Me and Bart talk about this a lot, and I haven't uh, put it together perfectly yet to display it to the world, but uh, you guys will understand the concept and might help me build it. But basically, how we all began is we either had a skill, a talent, or a hobby, and we thought, wow, we should share what we're doing, right? Yeah. Jim decided to share the, the team aspect and, and gear lifting aspect that wasn't being shared on the internet. Yep. You and I were coaches, basically, and we're like, oh, we have some knowledge that maybe the world doesn't have. How can I reach the most amount of ears with the skills and coaching that I'm already doing? Um, where nowadays, people look just like that. How can I re- uh, receive validation? And so we began to film our, our coaching, and we began to film our, our day-to-day lifting. I lifted weights for 10 years then I decided to film it. I yep. coached for four years, yep. decided to film it. Where they will see, okay, what is getting views and validation on the internet? What is getting that clout? Oh, lifting? Maybe I'll try lifting. And then they'll begin to lift. Yep. Like it's such reverse yep. uh, of processes. And the, and the folks who were lifting, you know, 10 years ago are now saying, oh, I want to try BJJ or I want to hey. run. Or, I want to do whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, not a lot last. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Omar's I, taking up tap dancing. And He's I giving think, up lifting well, as well. What do you think about these shoes right here? <laughs> I like how I was like, uh, like stretching it out. My knee was feeling achy as hell. I, I, we we can pull the table this no, way. No, yeah, you, you want your feet up? No, 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 we're great. I man. put okay. my feet on the kitchen table. It, it is, is a... my kitchen table, but I got flamed by Omar and Kyle this morning. But what? My feet on the kitchen table. Man, you had them dogs out. <laughs> the dogs are out, <laughs> Just baby. like out. And like they were like they weren't yellow, but they're like pink because like they were like touching the floor. And they just and like and Kyle was just looking at them. And we we're just talking about because I, I was talking the like, What are you doing? We're right talking now? about the uh, neurological uh, connection between foot fetishes. Actually, we're pretty yeah. intellectual at eight a.m. So Jim, you could look this up because we're going fifty percent <laughs> facts mode uh, here. But I remember this is that I think you know people have different inclinations, uh, proclivities. Um, and people are sexually uh, 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 att- attracted to other things. That's what you're getting with. Yeah, Stop using big with words, fetish- dude. They're pervs. With, with fetishes, yep. it's completely fine. And But I read somewhere that when it comes to feet fetish uh, fetishes, that it actually is due to basically the way the brain's wired, the sensory organs, and the way that it's compiled is that your genitals are actually close to your feet. Mm. And sometimes... I'm a size 12 no. in both. 
Is that there's some a, people are closer to their feet than others? <laughs> it's 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 a bleed over. Yeah, yeah. The cross is over, and so it's wider in the brain. So they have the same response yep. as it is to like seeing genitals. So it's not yeah. just like because like some it's either like social condition. And they're also covered up personal. a lot. They're covered up in modern right. age, so they might be a little mysterious. And what do them things look like under those Hanes right. socks? So uh, those people have ugly feet, though. So yeah, I don't want to think, get into it. No, but, like, I want to get into it. Uh, I think certain I think certain body parts can be how I don't want to say like naturally aesthetic. But I think I yeah. think feet are gnarly, sure, personally. But but foot fetishes are the most common fetish. Yeah, um, and I think because of the way it's why, like Jim, I want you to look this thing. Up. Uh, like, do you really want me to look this <laughs> up? Oh, just, just about because incognito, I, incognito. I, I've been I've been spitting <laughs> no so much. Right? No, Jim, I've been spitting so much just because I I know we're just. Spitting I have the second one for you. Right. I have the second Go. one for you. So Go. some people, yeah. um, I believe, are into um, human waste, and sometimes they like it on their chest. <laughs> How related is that to my neurological? You know that my bum bum we're hole is close to my pee num- hole. Number or ones and number twos. I guess both really uh, because they do. You're correct. I wonder if those fetishes are connected or if they only like one or the other like is there someone that's like yeah pee on me ew poop or if they're like ew poop on me ew pee pee so man th- this one this one is even harder in vision because i have i think only done it twice you're not that experienced <laughs> once and then i wasn't sure so i'm like let's do it again <laughs> um but i was gonna say that i think so my nose is very sensitive oh. um to odors and so any bad odor yeah. so it's weird for me where bad odors are 10 times worse my reaction pleasurable odors are like they smell nice yeah but a bad odor like as an example this is really uh, sad but so in toronto we have a lot of uh, raccoons and uh so for some reason behind our house that we were renting there's a main street and so there's a lot of businesses and so raccoons would go dumpster diving and i think a lot of those businesses would poison their uh, garbage and so raccoons then would come into our backyard because it's like pretty spacious and they go underneath the deck anyways well, one day it was a very faint smell and I had to bring my brother out, who does have a, a good sense of smell, and he had a smell around. I was like, "Man, something smells." Brother's off. a bloodhound, and, and he has he he's more accurate. He's just that guy. He has attention once again yeah. to detail. So he's a musician. He could smell something and define it. He could smell like the spices that we'll use or whatnot. He could try a food sample and he'll accurately be. It. Whereas I I just know it's like it's off. Yeah. I know like it's like a danger signal in my head. Yeah. yeah. So bad. Anyways, all that to say, this long story <laughs> is that bad smells uh, smell really bad. I can't like I can't you don't want to get pooped. On. I can't even think about that. What yeah. uh, with your uh your uh superpower of smell. Um, do you find it, we- weird? It's not even a good one though. It's because it's binary. It's not like good, bad. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I'm yeah, not like, yeah. Oh, that's a hint of mahogany. It's just like it's like a because good smells are uh, semi-subjective, right? Like I, there's some weird shit that I kind of like the smell yeah. of. Like I don't mind skunk. I don't yeah, mind uh, I, gasoline. Some people that throws them way off. You know, like little things like that. I kind of mm-hmm. like uh, 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 burnt metal and type shit when we're doing construction or burnt yeah. wood. Like I love yeah. some of that. Some people hate that. The burnt wood sometimes, if you if it's not like really charred, kind of has an incense smell. Yeah, that's I cool. like that. I or love... same with the metal. Like when we're ripping off the metal things, I kind of like that smell. Jim, Probably I toxic, love but... incense. Incense. And then Kyle the... hates it. I'll be lighting it in my room sometimes. <laughs> no, no, it'll no, get incense. the whole upper floor going. So I grew up with incense. Yeah. The other one is that I grew up in a household where there was smoke. And oh, this cigarettes? is a big one. I think I, cigarette... I like cigarette smoke too. And no one smoked. Yeah. Really? I'll go to Vegas. I kind of like, I mean, mom smoked b- before my sister was born. And yeah. then some of my aunts and uncles and shit, but I saw them once every two years. I always kind of, um, in my mind, I always kind of go to, to like being a kid 
in a bowling alley. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I go to a kid in Vegas. Jim, they had gambled a little bit. I we, like cigarette we, smokes. We, we grew up in this uh, era, too. I think they stopped it in Toronto, let's say in the 90s, where that a smoking and a non-smoking yeah, section. Sure. We would actually go into the non-smoking section. Or even right? airplanes. Yeah. yeah. How dumb is the non-smoking section in a restaurant? <laughs> yeah. Because it's literally like it just, booth back to back. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're not stopping. A hotel kind of makes sense, right? Because uh, at least you're in a room. Yeah. Um, but airplanes, remember, there's ash fucking trays. Yeah. Like, that's the wildest concept nowadays because they're not there anymore yeah and now that they've kind of replaced everything but for a long time they still yeah they still had them yeah so random amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jim, check me now. Have you looked it up? Because I want I, I I've been okay. spinning so many different things. Okay. I want to I, I want to be accurate about. I'm your... completely fine with being wrong. I just want I want to be checked with at least one thing. Okay, so I'm on Healthline.com. Thank and you. We'll, we will. And they like to talk we'll about feet. This. They said uh, foot fetish is common. Uh, it's yep. the mainstream sexual kink. Yep. It's more commonly talked about and understood than other types of fetishes. Sure. One study found that fetishes related to the human body human body parts were the most prevalent. Uh, where what was to say? One study found that fetishes related to human body parts were the most prevalent fetishes. Sure. Foot fetishes or podophilia accounted for almost. Podophilia is not a good name. Let's no, not use that one. Yeah, it could also be like really, really, really liking podcasts. So um, <laughs> just fucking <laughs> jerking off to me right now. Yeah, uh, almost fifty percent of of the preferences of this group accounted for was. With foot fetishes, uh, why do people like feet? This Thank is an you. important question. Okay, uh, just like clothing preferences or music styles, sexual kinks vary. In case you didn't know, yeah, uh, every person is attracted to or even repelled by things others might con- consider mundane. So it's not clear 
what it is about feet that's appealing, but a few theories have been offered to explain why some people are just drawn to feet. Keep going, Jim. And foot play. Validate me. Okay, so first one is biology. Your feet are covered with nerve endings, and the nerve endings equal greater, often more intense sensations. So this sort of ties into your theory. So tickling, rubbing, and massaging may all feel extremely better on feet okay. than they do other places. And that could be a proximity to the groinal region. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, this one I didn't see coming. Uh, the humiliation aspect. One psychological uh, element of a foot fetish is humiliation. Feet yeah. are often considered below people. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. some people think of feet as a lowly body part. That yeah. sets up a, a dynamic some people find appealing. No, humiliation like is a lower huge, is a huge uh, fetish. Than their partner. Not that they, I would know. They enjoy having their Tell feet. Tell me I have a small cock. <laughs> having your feet on their body as a form of power play or being put in their yeah. place. And then, yeah. I don't know how this one's not related, domination aspects. Right. Submission and yeah. domination is a power play for some couples. Feet are just one part mm -hmm. of the structure. If your partner has a foot fetish, they may want you to treat them like a human footrest. Yeah. I could get some, we could get somebody yeah, to come could, in. And, yeah, call me Rufus. Yeah. Them, them dogs. Uh, that, uh, they find satisfaction in letting you have domination over them so they can worship at your feet. That's good. Okay. That's sex out of the... So I'll say this. I wasn't trying to uh, kink shame. Is that my point of bringing up different body parts is that I feel that some or just like more aesthetic. Yeah. Like in terms of like shape. What function. about hands? So I'll put it this way. Like some people are like into hands, but not like sexually. But you, so they, I'll put it this way. Hands like uh, uh, nice, well-formed hands. Yeah. That's cool. It's like, okay, like the, the proportions, the symmetry. Yeah. There, there's a reason why where they have like hand models to put certain things down. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas like, let's face it. Like, I think, I don't know if it's our shoes or whatnot. Those things are mangled. <laughs> I don't I don't care who you are. Like they're turned like in and yeah. like bunions and like. You see the poor picture of Ugh. LeBron? Yeah, like his pinky toes, like on the top of his foot. No, dude, it's like, and like I get it. Like you're, you've literally been squished into to uh, like shoes your entire life, and you're like pushing hard against the edge. Like my feet were way worse when I played basketball than now. Yeah, because you're just you're just in them so long, and there's so much pressure, and you're tied hella tight. We'll pivot out of this conversation, <laughs> but let me let me give it a TMI. But like I think about like the small, the back. Like something like yeah, the yeah, neckline yeah, yeah, yeah. of like yeah. a woman or what, like or even like little from, things, right? From like neck down. Not, I'm yeah, not even yeah. talking cleavage. Or like, like quads, all those things. Like 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 I find you know developed quads attractive, but like that's probably because then they're athletic. Yeah. You know, they like there's more evolutionary. It could be a, it could be a marker towards yeah. something else. Yeah, you're yeah. healthy. That's what like the big booby thing is, right? Because then a mama's ready good to give babies, <laughs> right? I, I, that I, a thing? Like, I think I think posture as example yeah. is cool, and it might lead to confidence. It might lead to confidence and personality. Yeah. So, all right, there, dating tips with Dr. Love. Yeah, there's some, there's some for everyone. Dr. So, okay. Dr. Canada so I was, Love. I was on the 50% not facts then. I do I do like <laughs> what I am comfortable on this podcast, though. I do like it because it's just a chill conversation. It's just spitting things out. I'm like, I'm probably wrong. Oh, no, yeah, that's yeah. the, yeah, that's, we got to fail yeah, safe back here. Every time I think about changing the name of this podcast, I come back to the fact that yeah. it just works it's too well. It's a safety well. net. Yeah. 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 It works too well. But there's definitely truths in there. You know, because yeah. if you're if you're fifty percent percent incorrect, you got to be fifty percent correct. Well, there is the gray area of no. being yeah, yeah, neither <laughs> correct or incorrect because the answer could be more complicated. Than that's that. what where we and live. I think that's the that's, that's yeah. the fun of it. Yeah, the gray area. That's where we live. There's more than a hundred percent to ourselves. Now, Mike, they're probably wondering, uh, Jim. A, they went off on a tangent. They come back. I'm gonna uh, finish yeah, off whip on the around. point. The the point because uh, there was uh, something where we got to about the legacy within uh, different places, mm -hmm. and then we're all fighting over the shared historical perspective that is the share the cultural memory of what occurred. And so I think it always 
is to the benefit of whatever the next generation is to a race if they care and they're trying to cement their own legacy. So they're vying for power. Yeah. And that's okay and it's understandable. But I think what's important is in our modern era now with you know all the video stuff, all the like data that is tracked and whatnot, there's numbers. And I, I wonder 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, none of this will probably matter. But what I'm saying is that there's history that when you remember 20 years from when it occurred and then 100 years, then 500 years, and those change. So someone like an Ed Cohen, as an example, in 30 years might become irrelevant. I don't mean any shade yeah, against yeah. him. I think he's one that I do think he is one of the goats. Um, but a hundred years from now, when people are looking back and they look at pioneers, so like Eugene Sandow, right? Eugene was not popular in the sixties or seventies, right? Mm. At that time, we had the golden era coming back, the silver age. So we had uh, like many other guys like John Grimmick and so on and so forth, Steve Reeves. So his like cultural currency at that time, but then people start doing a deep dive. And now Eugene Sandow, if we had to like trend, like his popularity over the the last 120 years, He's probably more popular now than he has been in 120 yeah. years. That is funny. Like even so a Tommy Tommy Kono, yeah, um, yes, is barely spoken about. But like that dude's such a gangster, yes, you know. And so like yeah, maybe 20 years from now when we start to undig more stuff, Tommy will get a little bit more love in general. But like what he did is like I don't even know what to compare him to, you know, because he did so much for so, so many sports. Yeah, and I think too that um, if you're coming up in a support in a sport and uh, you really don't have the level of talent or the com- comparability to put yourself on a Mount Rushmore of a, a particular sport, then your your goal should be to blow up that Mount Rushmore in some way and just like, you know, restart a new era of, of whatever. And I think that's that actually has naturally happened yeah. because the like people who are competing now in the mainstream don't compete the way yeah. Ed did at the beginning of his career or the end of his career. Yeah, yeah. powerlifting is just such a different idea because it's so fragmented into eras, yeah. right? With like an Ed Cohn era, then a West Side era, and then kind of a whatever era, like I guess a Dan Green era. Uh, yeah. And then now more of like a USAPL seems to be majority of, or even IPF with yep. with uh, the forklifter. Uh, like there's a lot of... Um, more attention there uh and so the sport is so varied where like you can't really compare it to basketball like yeah there was a point with no three-point line but the differences are still nothing compared to powerlifting like there have literally been different sports every 10 years yeah (laughs) yeah one thing i'll say uh jim i think what's liberating about that notion that you know who writes history what will be history is that when people are always trying to vie once again for legacy the intention of what you're doing then is skewed towards one direction, which is completely fine. But the question they have to ask is, if it doesn't happen that way, then would you be satisfied with what you did, your contributions, the reasons behind it? And I think far more enriching is what Mike was alluding to in the pursuit thereof, in the sense that it's sequential, like history is actually sequential. So you won't be remembered, but what you did will hopefully in some tangible way yeah. impact and improve the next generation. What was the example? You were giving a, a my, oh yeah, so what you said with Pug. Yeah. And this is true in so many different disciplines. We are essentially, the way I define us, would be pioneers in the space, in the social media lifting space, yeah. and also programming where everything coalesced together, you brought up Eric Helms, where even the research is far stronger. Why? Because now we have thousands, tens of thousands of lifters. We have hundreds of coaches that could all communicate with one another. And so what's percolating up is something closer to the approximation of truth. And so you need people in there to do that process right. to lead the next generation that then takes for granted if it fits your macros, RP, 
single work. Uh, even that, bro. You look around like things. I remember when you and I were talking about it. There's probably fucking twenty people on the internet talking about uh, macros. Yep. And then now you go to every single TikToker besides some that are way out there, like a carnivore or something. And the majority of people giving fitness information are talking about macros, and it's just a well-known, normal occurrence. Yeah. Where literally seven years ago, yeah. there was a handful of people talking about macronutrients and like food as energy and like how it actually works. And, and I think uh, I'm very satisfied with. Uh, I'll, I'll just speak for myself, like with like my contribution in the space, like what occurred, and I and that's why I do have a lot of hope. I always have hope in the future. Um, the only thing that gives a slight pause is not them. It's that when a space gets bigger, naturally things get incentivized monetarily. Um, and when the, and, and that's why someone said that, and it's absolutely true. It actually was, uh, Mike Tornabeni, uh, Dom Mazzetti, he was on a podcast and he Mike's said a smart it. cat. No, Mike is clearly, yeah. uh, so He's that's a very part. smart cat. He said that, which I, I, I could tell, uh, yeah, this is uh, bro science for those out yeah. there. Who, he's someone who's a creator and he's an artist. Yeah. And that that's the distinction. There's business-minded folks and then there's artists. And I would personally, I think we would identify more on the artist side, the artistry of it. But he was saying, so what he said about TikTok, which is 100% true, and this isn't a charge against it. There will be the next TikTok. So yeah. that's what I want to be clear. Like, yeah, TikTok's right. Like, whatever. Like, it's owned by like, uh, this government. I'm like, bro, they're all like, it's a natural extension of what has been occurring on Instagram, on YouTube. But what I was going to say, on YouTube, theoretically, years ago, it's possible to create and what we created and what I'm proud of is our own new niche that then people have taken, expanded, improvised on that didn't exist before. What TikTok primarily focuses on is echoing what someone else does. Yeah. And there'll be things and you you uh, don't believe for a second that this won't happen. Um that essentially musical trends that then there'll be companies that incentivize once again, sure. uh, you know, uh, TikTok or whatnot, where it's like, hey, this kid has the latest single, make this sound trending. For sure. You have to use that sound to be popular. So everyone's just copying one another. Right. It's an iteration of an iteration. And there's no creativity. Yeah, there's rewards, no innovation. lack of creativity. Yeah. And there, that's literally the definition yeah. of it trends. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no autonomous thought being put into place. And that's the part that's uh, concerning is the. The willingness uh, for conformity, and I even see it in, so as a big music fan, you see modern musical artists and the intersection. One of my favorite shows uh, of the modern era last 20 years is actually Donald Glover's Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Um, I've heard it's good. I've never watched it. I, so I think it's exceptional yeah. because he, it's actually, it's a critique on just living in, you know, modern culture, obviously the black lived experience, um, and then the music industry, all these intersections. But he takes on basically in very clever ways corporatism and the idea that like the modern artist, like you can't just be an artist. You're actually a marketer. You're right. a business-minded person. Like let's take a, a, a what's her uh, name? Uh, hottie, uh, Megan Thee Stallion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where she has an example and she's just one of many. But like you do like the hottie sauce, the Popeye integration. And it's not about obviously the music anymore, but everyone because right. you're incentivized to go along to get along. It's all about being a corporate chill. Versus, like, let me take as an example. I'm not even a Pearl Jam fan, okay? But when they said "fuck Ticketmaster," like that yeah. meant something. When those bands, like it, like Faith No More, as an example, and it was across the spectrum. That's why, like, hip hop had a lot of people that were like Tribe Called uh, Quest. Like, they were like socially conscious, like really good stuff. And then what percolated to the top and what was put forth, like you know, years later. But anyways, like Faith No More, where the guys like flopping on stage when he's doing the performance, he doesn't want to perform. He doesn't want to be there. Like even like Nirvana. Like you listen, I'm just listening like '90s artists. But you could go back. There was a sense of understanding that they had to keep 
their music ideologically pure. Of course, they would do certain sure. things mm-hmm. and like yeah. whatnot, like and they sell tickets. But there's a clip, and again, I'm not even a big Nirvana fan. I'm just bringing up like modern big examples people get because we could get it in a jazz. But uh, there was an interview with Kurt Cobain where he's talking about the price of the tickets, and they wanted to make the tickets affordable for their audience, which is now an unheard of idea. Yeah. And he heard how much Madonna was charging for her tour at the time, which was probably like three times what they're charging. And let's be clear, they were massive at the time. They could have charged whatever. And they said, man, that's a ripoff. Yeah. Imagine. I can't artists- have my core audience watch me. So why am yeah. I going on tour? Yeah. And, and so imagine an artist these days that would be incredibly popular, but also. A consumer focus or fan focus yeah. where they care about their audience and that just doesn't happen yeah, they're now hard. all plants which is which is not all of them i should yeah, say yeah, yeah. like guys like thundercat like there's a there are yeah, a bunch Thunder of artists cool. they're, they're doing cool things but i'm saying the system rewards yeah. compliance but and then that, yeah and it just gets complicated from there right because their only way to make money is tour now because yes. they're getting fucked by bigger corporations 100%. and shit so it, it does get complicated but I, I i highly agree with the the lack of creativity although their job title still a content creator, yeah. um, but because of the systems, you can't always blame them in particular. No, um, because the systems, yeah, reward you for being not individual. <laughs> yeah, and I like using the same vocabulary across everything. Yeah, <clears throat> people talk about things all the same way, all the same words. This is regurgitation. It, yeah, and it and it's it's annoying. It's it's like grating even. To hear the same, oh, I'm loving whatever, you know, this new makeup shit that I got for free. The same five and, books, the same five films that yeah, I was talking about. Yeah, it's 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 annoying. There's no, where's the individuality that actually, that everything else was based on, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's like the middle ground of the daily creator is there. And then if you could get to the top, top somehow, whatever that looks like, then maybe you can be individual and win. Like I was talking to Omar about Lil Uzi Vert, just a choose a pop name and i wasn't a fan before um because music kind of all sounded the same but recently he's come out with some like kind of experimental shit that's very very different and i i kind of like it but i almost just like it because he's doing it and he's being himself and having fun with his music versus every other hip-hop artist or whatever type of pop artist now just using the exact same tones the exact same synth the exact same uh flow um and we we can analyze it musically too we could go down that path and there there's several channels there's a guy called rick Beato. He has a channel. He's a good oh, yeah, yeah. music teacher. And so you'll say, like, oh, like you hear this chord, so we're doing like a, a two five one or whatever, like a, the progression. But there's been a narrowing in terms of the chord progressions and right. permutations and song structures. The innovation in quotations going on right now is really in production. But in terms of like there are hits from the 60s, 70s, yeah, way 80s, more complicated. And even, and that people were willing to listen to, yeah. right? Like you have Weather Report, example. They had that song, Birdland. That song in 2022 would never be as popular or 2023 now just because people have been conditioned to think less. It's almost like the, the most analogous thing I could use is that if you use your own thinking, your own ears, you'll pick up on things. You might not be able to identify, and that's just a language to say like, oh, right. there's a 13th core, uh, 13th uh, note in there or whatever. Or it's an, ad, it's an add this or it's a suspend or like whatever. That's the language of communicating what you're hearing. But if you listen enough, you could be like, oh, that's a complex emotion. It's kind of melancholic, but there's a hint yeah. of hope at the end, whatever. Yeah, but you the, don't have to know the language of music, and that's the no, beauty of music. No, it's an experience. Yeah. And I think the most analogous uh, thing I could liken it to is we all now have a, a spell check on our phones. And when it's turned off and people attempt to spell, their spelling is worse than it was before they oh, had spell yeah, check yeah. because that is basically our handicap with like the wheels on it that allow and assist us just to basically blitz through things. And so it's the same idea that things are formulaic when it comes. And I, because I care a lot about music, is that I don't think that 
corporations which have all the power now right, right? they had that uh from the mtv i think mtv it's always been there but even the inception of mtv video kill, uh, killed uh, the radio star and so yeah. on and so forth where it became about a look and a feel and an attitude which is like theoretically because it's part of the experience it's cool yeah but it, it could could potentially add to the storytelling yes. right mm-hmm. so yes. it could add to the story but when it's scaled up yeah this is where we end up, and, and there's a theatrical component to it. But I, I do, I do wonder. And what I do like is some of the modern artists that are trying to shoe some of these like rigid structures because they feel it. And an artist's natural inclination, like a uh, uh, Stanislaw Lem in his book, uh, the what is it, the uh, Hospital of the Transfiguration, he has a line where he says, which is an amazing line. He said, uh, a reader about books. He said. Uh, a reader reads to escape, a writer writes for redemption. And so an artist, mm. the, the general concept with an artist is they're trying to explore themselves, communicate an idea. So if you're truly an artist, you'll you'll kind of bristle against some of these uh, things being put down on you. So yeah. you, you do see some artists doing that. There are even uh, the popular ones, and you do see some great work still being done in cinema, even under the Hollywood kind of moniker. Sure. I think the, the best work is uh, being done is uh, independent cinema. But one thing I'll say quickly, and I want to kick it back over to you guys, I'll never forget this as an example where people, they'll listen to the aggregate and they haven't formed their own opinion on it. They'll see what Rotten Tomato yeah. says for a film or Metacritic. I'll never forget this. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes. Who pays the critics? I don't know, but I was just looking up, and I don't know cinematically. That's where uh, movies, to me, are much different than music or clothes or anything else, where I literally am a consumer. When we're talking about not being a consumer, I am yep. just with movies. I just want to be entertained. You know, like, you know this, Jim. Yeah. I just want to sit down and numb my brain a little bit. I don't look at it any other way. I don't look at the shots, although I'm a, a YouTube creator. I don't listen to audio. I don't even look at the script. I don't give a fuck. Entertain me. So remember the Titans, because emotionally, I think, and my childhood is one of my favorite movies ever. And we were just talking about uh, just politics this morning. And so I was looking up the year that it takes place, that story. It's Mm -hmm. 1971, which is a whole different story, how wild that is, that that level of racism was like only 12 years from me being born. But um, uh, I think I like 60% on Rotten Tomatoes or some shit. That movie's dope. So fuck those bastards. So and it was Disney. You think it would have gotten the corporate like twisty love, you know? So this is why it pays one to form your own opinion. But let's I always think a historical look can then inform the future if the ecosystem's the same and not dynamic. So in a marketplace setting, because things are constantly changing, it makes no sense to take a historical look. But in things like art where we could uh, take a look how have critics historically performed in terms of predicting what the group consensus fifty years yeah. would be from then what were the great films? And I'll give you an example. Just look up the Oscars Best Picture, even the nominees. So forget what won Best Picture, but like 1939, like Citizen Kane and so on and so forth. Like Gone with the Wind won. And like, fuck Gone with the Wind. But like, but like, what was nominated and what now, 80 years later, people will regard as the best films from 1939? The top 10, maybe one of them's nominated. So what does that tell you about critics? And they habitually do this. I, I know this because I, growing up, I listened to like a lot of rock as an example. Van Halen, Rolling Stone magazine, the premier magazine for you know musical critiques, said with Van Halen 1, which was highly innovative, Eddie Van Halen, RIP, his frenetic guitar playing, the double tapping, the, the wizardry he did, but also, honestly, he was a riff master and his rhythm playing was underrated. But anyways, nonetheless, the musical critic, who has no musical credentials, not that you necessarily need one to be a critic. Right, but said it sure helps. He said there's nothing new on this. And I think he, he gave it two out of five stars or something. Yeah. And so that's, that's like one example. But the point of what you're saying, Mike, is that I think people are looking to someone else to form their own opinion, to pre-chew their entertainment yeah. for them. And here's the example I was going to give. 
in 2019. I'll never forget this. Uh, so I went uh, with my friend. Actually, Rup, you met him. Yeah. And went as so as uh, he and I, his girlfriend, and then uh, someone else that I was seeing at the time. And so we saw this film. It's called Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you. And I love like I saw it and I loved it. It's still like probably in the last like that's a new movie. Uh, 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the last five, ten years, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's good. It's like it's still for let's say a Western film, top five, like easy, just like it's like so many different parts about it, how creative it was, and anyways, whatever, right? And we watched the film, and there there are other differences that we could get into that, yeah. like that. It's a little political, yeah. Yeah, that my yeah. that myself and Rup, we have like let's say some lived experiences. They they did not that immediately like, we turned and were like like I had goosebumps. I'm like this is a fantastic film. Yeah. Anyways, we didn't say anything, but the two other people that were there. They were like, they just paused. They didn't know what to think. They're like, uh. Yeah, yeah. And then they turn and like, what What did you think? And I'm like, I don't know. What did you, I, I said, I know what I thought. I'm like, what did you think? Yeah. And that's just, that is a common experience where people, because unless they're pre-chewed and so they go to Rotten Tomatoes and then they precondition yeah. what I expect and then they'll enjoy it, therefore, because they've been told it's a good film. They're uncomfortable challenging themselves or wondering about it i don't and, know where it yeah. sits but you and i did a podcast back in the day that stuck with my head because we did so many podcasts so shortly that not many stick in my head uh, yeah, you yeah. know what i mean because yeah, we were yeah. just fucking yeah. we were hauling ass yeah. um and i don't know where this fits in but it does fit in with like kind of a culture vulture thing mm. right like the trends and just being a culture vulture meaning just following a trend because it's a trend rather than following a trend because you respect its history its tradition yeah. quality or simply because it's kind of like working out where i just say like if you say you like it or if you say that feels good i'm never gonna argue yeah. i was even just joking with dan the other day about foam rolling he's like i'm surprised you don't foam roll a lot i was like it's trash yeah. and he's like but it feels good i was like keep foam rolling bucko like yeah. what do i care yep. um and that's with a lot of things like i don't care if you like this or don't like that shoe or like this as long as you say i like that i enjoy this fucking party on the rest of your life i'll yeah. never argue someone that says i have fun with it it feels good or i like this yeah because yeah. then i can just never argue um and that's the same with movies that's the same with music that's the same with clothes but but Everyone just follows trends, and yep. they just follow it. Everyone's wearing Jordan ones now, just because your favorite influence is wearing Jordan ones, where you know nothing about sneakers, and you might not even like them. Yeah. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sidestepping into a conversation that's been going on on our uh, Discord Um a couple months oh, ago, yeah. uh, around Thanksgiving, we had uh, Avi and Seabass, our 20-somethings, yep. in here. Yep. And we reviewed uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, yeah. Did you watch it live at the same time? No, we didn't. But we, we everybody watched it the day before, and then we just talked about it. Um, it. But to see, like, what the generational issues around it were. And, you know, there's some things you couldn't get away with in that film now. There's, you yep. know, yep. there's all, all kinds of stuff. But um, someone on our Discord... Uh, said, basically, if you can't appreciate a classic film, like a re- well-regarded classic film, yeah, you don't know. As a young person, <laughs> then you're stupid. Yeah, they did put it in nicer words, but I felt that as well when I read it. And that goes back to, and I, I think you guys could back me up on this. Like, I just like what I like. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Like, it could be a, p- a piece of art. Yeah. yeah, and if I don't like it, that that's not a knock on the artist. Well, I don't like it. I, I started to respond, and I looked at the 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 films that he named that you know were were classics and i thought okay were all of those actually popular at the time like right. like of, omar's uh, thing with uh, sandow kind of yeah like were they were they popular at the time and did they make money were they you know like in the in the top ranks of films that were seen in that year like apocalypse now wasn't but the other yeah. the all the other ones i think had something but it was not because they were classic films that they did well at the time it's because they fit the the cultural zeitgeist at the time right like people it matched what people's sensibilities were relative to movies that they wanted to see and not because they were classic they were also classic but that's something different and if you're going to appreciate that you know appreciate something from an earlier age you have to appreciate it based on uh on that classic part and not on the the cultural zeitgeist because it changes that changes all the time i think movie and music are two things that you can really light up with that you know like Iron Man 1 is going to go down as a classic. Is it the greatest cinematic film adventure ever? No, no. but it hit the it hit that string at the right time. And there were And there's something special about that as well. There were 14, 15-year-old kids um playing basketball at the the uh, the court that's right by my house and they're fucking blasting Van Halen and yeah. just a bunch of like yeah. a, a, you know 70s 80s stuff. And they're like, well, it's because that's classic, but it also vibes with me. Right. Yep. Yeah, some some they can be different, and they don't all have to be that. Yeah, yeah, they don't all have to uh, last the the tale of time. It's okay for it to be a classic in its time, and a certain group enjoy these nineteen fifty films or whatever. But it's okay that they're not godsend now too. It's okay that our taste as a culture has moved on as also. It, I, it's, I mean, it helps if you understand like why things are constructed the sure. way they are and stuff like that. I mean, I took film classes and stuff like that. So like, I, I get that. Um, and you can still not like it. And, and it's you still, still okay not for like you it, to yeah. like it. And a 12 year old now would be like, why is that a classic? Yeah. 
Jim, there's so much to unpack. Uh, we're like, no, no, like, truly. I, I think uh, what I would say is that great art, and we would need to define that because yeah, I think hard. I think there's an upper pantheon, and I would not put planes, trains, and automobiles in that category. But like, this guy kind of did, right? But, in Discord, but, but I would a little bit, yeah. yeah that's where I was like, dude, I'm like, hey, I would ask him as an example. I'd go even more elitist. Uh, I'm like, hey, where's Andre Rublev? Like Andre Tarkovsky's film. It's like, how do you deal with international cinema? Like Akira Kurosawa, do we have Ron in there? Do we have like Sinchiro Samurai? Do we have like Seven Samurai yeah, in there? Yeah, probably not. Like, right, it's like, so your experience, I think what I would say this is that great art, we need to find that, and that's a nebulous term, but let's just go with it. How, what you think about great art is more of a reflection on you than the art itself, but the beauty about art, it's an interaction between you and the art, and it's okay, to Mike's point, for someone not to feel a certain way about a film that ostensibly or a piece of music they should, and everyone's also on their own journey. I do not yeah. believe in gatekeeping, and I don't believe in policing people's thoughts in terms of what they should like, because I'll give you an example. Let's take a look at, and I don't know what like Avi and like Seabass and like everyone thought about the film, but like planes, trains, and automobiles, if we're using this as the uh, kind of example right here, is a film that takes place in a very particular time period that speaks to, it, it does have universal appeal, and we could go spoiler here, yeah. right? Spoiler? Yeah. The, the, the turnaround ending that reframes it is the best part about the film yeah. about John Candy with his wife and then Steve Martin where they're theoretically like one's blue collar, one's white collar, that they come together and it's this unification. It's a great like American like cultural mythos of like Thanksgiving and what it's about, yeah. right? And it appeals, it's it's very like middle America and it's message and that that's what you said. Like Jim, yeah, it's niched thing. within a niche because it doesn't even like hit like modern day California. The only reason I even got some of it is because like dad's from the Midwest, you know, yeah. like it's so like. And, and to hit to that individual's pocket, it really speaks to them. And that's yeah. cool. I think more often than not, films could be an empathy building vehicle. And that's fantastic, which puts you outside of your own experience. But all too often, which is understood, people want to see themselves or right. stories that are reflected. It's like, so that example, it's like, if we analyze that's a John Hughes film and they have like, I think I think if he wanted to use a better example, probably like the, the othering that occurs being a youth, like in something like The Breakfast Club, in terms of like these, in quotations, delinquents, the youth that's always perpetually uh, uh, misunderstood by the establishment. Mm -hmm. That's like a more universal, there's a reason why that's like the, the teen film. But but none Goonies. But nonetheless, but Mike, nonetheless, the whole example with what that person brought up is that just like with music, and I could give some heavy musical examples, and like I was going to give this example about uh, Wayne Shorter, uh, one of the greatest uh, you know saxophone players of all time. Just like your experience is predicated upon your exposure, and everyone's exposure is different, and their opportunity and time to think about things. I'll put it. I'll put it this way: I've orchestrated my life in such a way that I have ample opportunities to read the books I want to read, to discover myself more, to watch the films I want, to listen to the music, to think about these things. I'm fortunate; I have the privilege and access. My brother, who's like. He is the greatest musician I know. He can listen to a piece and he can identify the chord progression within three seconds. And he's given me a seismic uh, 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 forward progress in terms of my musical understanding. All those things come together to then form like I'll I'll talk about like a certain album. I'll talk about like Jocko Pistorius or whatnot. And someone's like, oh, who's Jocko? And I wouldn't take the like, you don't know who he is. Yeah, yeah. It's the hours that I've been afforded, not the hours I've chosen to dedicate. Yeah, you're You're like me in that sense. You're like excited then to share that. Yes. Rather than, like you said, like gatekeepy or and, like and elitist I don't like, type. I hate it too. I, I And because what it is, is you're essentially attempting to bully people to conform to your worldview. Because yeah. if that person brought up, like, I don't know what films they said, we can all agree. I think there's 
there would basically be very few films and think we're taking on a very Western perspective here, probably with the films. I'm assuming like Jim, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know this person. Yeah, but we I don't either. M- many, many of them are North American films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, very yeah, American. It's all, all American yeah. stuff. So, so right. let's agree. So let's talk about, hey, Mike's Italian. Let's talk about the beauty of Italian neorealism. Or film, women. Okay? Or anything. Any, <laughs> uh, uh, Sophia Loren, Monica Bellucci, come on. Love them. And so but let's talk about Italian neorealism film, okay? So let's talk about La Strada, okay? L- let's talk about like Fellini's La Strada, one of the all-time greats. Let's talk about uh, Bicycle Thieves or my film. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, there, there's many we could go on. Umberto uh, uh, Diaz I was going to say, which is like, that's, that's one of the greatest. But that guy, what he listed, think about this. So he listed only Western films. Can we agree that cinema as a medium... There's a learning period, like there's the silent era it, it, over here in the West, where like you know, first twenty years, like nineteen eighteen, Charlie Chaplin is one of the goats, but like one of the goats, but but he is, but above the, above the silent era, I do think he's yeah. undefeated in the silent era. But the point is, there's a learning period, but there's so many different. Uh, uh, there's European cinema, there's Asian cinema, there's like you, you know, you go over like African cinema and so on and so forth. But it's like if you listed just American films. You're slicing off 90% of the right. rest of the world. My favorite film in the last 10 years is a Colombian film, Embrace of the Serpent. Hola. That, that deals with like the the indigenous like Amer, uh, Indians, I, I believe they're called. Like just, just their history and everything else. It's beautiful. But anyways, the point is, is that his assumption that what he shared right. is the thing, that, that, that assumption. That a generation's missing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would. Maybe I would you're agree. maybe you're missing something, right. right? Right, and maybe it's okay for them. Like, uh, here's a question for you: Did they vibe? With, they thought what? Like, some parts were funny. I do assume that I would say uh, Hollywood filmmaking in the last thirty years, every decade has gotten faster. So instead of let's say he talks f- about that a little bit too there's, in his comment. Yeah, there's forty. There's forty jokes. Uh, Jim did too about it, pacing in planes, trains, and automobiles. In a modern film like that, right. there'd be three hundred, right, or whatever, right? Yeah, but uh, planes, trains, it, it, there is. <sighs> There's a little bit of the of a more modern aesthetic there, and you're talking about the end. I mean, there was multiple endings to that to that film. They shot, yeah. I mean, like it, they cut like 40 minutes of that film toward the end. There's a whole other story about about um, about John Candy's character's life and and yep. stuff that just they just stripped it out. There are pieces of this movie that don't make any sense because of of the connective yeah. tissue that was removed. Yep. But they were editing for pacing, right? And and length. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. I, I, I again, I don't want to rip this homie in Discord because it's just his perspective, and that's all fair. But um, when he like kind of names that it's all Western, and he names that the pacing is ruining modern movies. But if I like modern movies, why is it ruining it? Yeah, like it is again, and and I do think we could come on a definition of what a good art is. Uh, in relation to a medium we're talking about, there are some aspects where it's not subjective, right? Yep. Like uh, you can't just do whatever you want in movies, music, and um, you know more yeah, drawings. Like it, music, and, if you're atonal music, like, yeah, that's a yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, arrhythmic. Even like there's yep. got to be some kind of form with the syncopation. You can't keep the beat. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now it's not music, right? Yeah. So there are some rules in each medium. Um, but what says a higher pace for the modern era is bad. Yeah, because that's what the people want, and part of art is to communicate to an audience, right? Like art isn't made for you; art yeah. is made for an audience, and so there needs to be some level of communication there. And if the modern era needs a faster pace, based on whatever you want to make ADHD, five G phones, I don't care what your excuse is, uh, then communicate that way. I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, you just I, prefer the classic take, but at the same time, movies are fucking getting longer. And yeah, longer right, right, and longer. Yeah, so. 
so the or the, podcasts we've talked about this a yeah, lot where the yeah. uh, attention span is actually just splitting it's not going shorter tiktok's the shit with five seconds but so is podcasts with three hours yep yeah yep. no not us though we don't do three hours i mean three, three hours is an epic journey that, yeah, I, that, I, that's I like apocalypse know. now that's uh, a, yeah, the final cut that's 50 percent extended yeah. take lord of the rings version yeah, i don't even think i know there's no way uh the way he actually listed lawrence of arabia the graduate See, chinatown apocalypse let now. me uh, thank you let me rip them apart so lawrence of arabia being someone from another background, let me just say that the story of Lawrence Arabia is ass backwards. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally not true. It's, and it's totally not true. But he loved it because it's David Lean. It's cinematic, the yeah. splendor. You have Omar Sharif, right? Who, who's there like... Who, anyways, not only is it not historically accurate and it's not true to the source material, but it's a it's a fantasy. The way, it's conco- the way it is, the, the way it's paced and told is something that probably that individual would identify with, but none of it's true. And even the way it's told, like that's the point, is like, let's say, so Apocalypse Now we could talk about, where what was interesting about 70s filmmakers and what I would support with Francis Ford Coppola, he was trying to get to the truth of the story of what happened in Vietnam. So his aim was to tell something that was true. David Lean's, on the other hand, it's a, it's like a, a, a how do you say, a grandiose epic that is just concocted in someone's head. And there's an asymmetry of power there, if you think about it, because the people, the Arabians that he's speaking about, they don't have any voice in it. He didn't consult any of them for right. historical accuracy. No. So he's just putting his own perspective to right. other people, and this person's chewing it Which up. Which is fine, yeah, right? But yeah, it's I not say, accurate. Like, I, I, and, and Lawrence yeah. is a very flawed character in the film yeah. and also in real life. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, hero but not in a lot of ways and the film portrays him more uh, as more of a hero than he really was and and the, even the, the british liberating them i'm like the yeah. british liberated people i'm like i don't think that's how it worked <laughs> yeah out. that's not really how yeah. that worked out but that's interesting so jim see even that i find i'll take right on because i say to him i'm like hey where's uh the scent uh, uh, uh Shapiko, like one of my favorite films of all time i do think like if we talk high art i'm like you've never even seen that film it's like that film can bring me to it can bring anyone to tears. I'll give you a story actually, Jim, because that not that that's uh, fired me up, but just the films he's listed. <laughs> you stay I'll, fired up. You can't will, get fired up. I will tell you a, a story here that's one of my most powerful because I believe I believe art should be accessible to everyone. So at TIFF, uh, Toronto International Film Festival, there's now a building gym. And so they'll house like all the film, like any uh, artistic film of, in quotations, merit will play there. Cool. So they'll play some of the classics sometimes, right? Whatever. And so my favorite director is Andre Tarkovsky. So I, I identify with a lot of different things. Like, uh, anyways, it's not worth getting into. But he has a film called Andre Rublev that was about someone who painted icons, which are like the religious paintings. But there's so much more to that. It's a four-hour film. For a modern viewer, it, it goes at a glacier pace. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's one of my favorite films, easily of all time. It's listed by serious hardcore film critics. Like, if we're to look it up right now, by it's always in the, at the top something. Cool. Whatever, right? Um, and so film students will make it a point when it's playing, they want to go see it. But here's the interesting part. So it was playing Cinema One, biggest uh, cinema at TIFF, right? Because, of course, it is that film. It has this, uh, like, artistic prestige What's associated with era? it. So night uh, in the sixties, late sixties, won all the uh, won all the wars. Like I think the, the Venice, uh, like Gold Line or whatever. Anyways, so they show it, and who shows up? Ten film students and this older Slavic woman, who is dressed very plainly, simply. She's not a film student. She's not a film critic. I could easily tell just by the way that she is that she's just someone that like probably like, like group in Russia because I uh, heard her after on the phone. Like it totally was uh, like a, a Russian accent. Anyways, when I saw the film. These 10 art students sit down, and like I said, because 
because I think they didn't know what to expect, and it's so outside of their periphery of experience, mm-hmm. where they were given like a list of like one, two, three, four, five, and and the spiritual and philosophical tones that Tarkovsky deals with, and it's all a lot of it's metaphorical, it's poetic in the way his his father was a poet. Anyways, there's a lot to unpack, but it flies over their head. The film ends, and I'll never forget this, but the woman was crying, and it was a beautiful moment uh, where like it, it penetrated to her. So this theoretically complex, uh, intellectually complex work that's one of the masterworks of all time that you really need to think about understood, it penetrated her soul because the the message was fundamental. She had an openness about it, whereas all the art students, every right. single one of them, who hypothetically team, should be should speaking be the, the same language as the director. That should have known. Yep. Not only did they understand it, they yep. started saying these platitudes. Well, I, I think... It was very interesting. Like they started yeah. using words and phrases that meant that either, one, they didn't understand, which is fine to say yeah. you didn't understand it, but also they didn't like it. But they should because they're art students, right? right. And this is like the greatest art yeah, film yeah. of all time. So, yeah, so they're intellectualizing it in a really kind of... Yeah. Robert Bresson, one of the greatest French filmmakers, said this. I uh, He said... Uh, I want my audience to feel a film and not think about it. Yeah. And he's uh, like, and these films are heavy. Like Andre Tarkovsky, he has this book. It's one of the books I brought with me called Sculpting in Time, which is one of the greatest philosophical works on art in the 20th century uh, that he wrote. Uh, talks about this that he said, uh, 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 consciousness and content must come before technique is one of the things that he said. But anyways, the point of me saying that is that I believe art should be accessible to everyone, and there's not there's a lack of gatekeeping there where yeah. that person who saw the film, it immediately resonated with him. My brother had the exact same experience where he saw Akira Kurosawa's Ron, a film, the guy made it in his 70s. Like Akira Kurosawa was one of the goats. And because he was a painter, he made uh, many black and white films, one of his like first like three or four uh, films in color. Beautiful. And there was an older lady next to my brother. He sat right at the front. And at the end, there's a moment, I'll just say, uh, no spoilers at the end, but there's a sound cue that like will start the, startle the audience because everything's quiet. And the woman jumped next to him and she turned, they're from totally different like life experiences, mm-hmm. everything. Like what, she's 50 years older than my brother. And she turned to him and said, that's a wonderful film. And that's the, pow- that's the power of art. And yeah, that's yeah, why like, yeah. the seemingly unassuming person that doesn't have the pretense is an easier path to understanding art. And th- that says something about this, about uh, people that identify themselves as critics or people that will try and police other people's thoughts. I'm not trying to critique that person, but yeah, yeah. just that Lawrence of Arabia, like I guarantee in a hundred years that film will be forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. But, Besides for its cinematic splendor in terms of being a spectacle. Yeah. It, oh, it's, it's, it's an incredible spectacle. It's sumptuous. It's, yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, but uh, Apocalypse Now isn't, I mean, it's supposed to be about the Vietnam War, but it's really in in not. It's 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 a parable. Yeah, and I think that if you start to think about all of scripted entertainment as being a parable for a particular point of view, you're trying to say a particular thing, it you you find the kind of distance that you need to talk about how the story is told and not what the actual underlying meaning of the story is i i i i'm fascinated by sequels to things because uh i just want to see how they're going to work out the puzzle of 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 extending a story that seemed over yeah it seems even if it's shitty you know i mean even or television adaptations of movies all that stuff i just want to see how they do it and and 
to me, every one of every one of them is some kind of a parable. They're they're telling you a story in a particular way to get a certain reaction or to give you a certain insight that they feel that they can get. You know, the I, I've been f- completely fascinated by the adaptation of uh, uh, The Last of Us, not versus the game, although I hear about that. But how does it fit into that sort of apocalyptic? Uh, genre, how it fits into the zombie yeah. horrors genre, and go on. No, no, we no, no we, we, we actually just we played footsie we, on accident. Now we now we have a, oh. a foot fetish with each oh, other. Okay. That's how, uh, no, I like zombie yep, movies yep. for that same reason uh, to see like the origin story, for lack of a better term, yeah. of where when we're all gonna die. <laughs> He, uh, uh, Mike likes to think it's all going to be over at some point. So, the, the dude, the mushroom is a little scary. It I, is. Heard, I heard it's three evolutions away from that truth. I don't know so, if that's true either, but I, I, I have you what? watched Last of Us? No, because uh, that's like a couple. There's a couple things that I do like too, where um, there's certain movies or series where the kind of like film student, the casual fan, and like the historian or whatever, like all demographics like all agree like this is fucking lit and i feel like last of us is starting to get there we're like the visual folks are like yeah cinematically it's amazing the story folks are like yeah Yeah. and the casual fan like me is like yeah that's fucking dope i think i think there's a lot of very good i think game of thrones beginnings were kind of like that i think hollywood cinema has been static there's still some good but i think most of the best films are outside of that. Whereas I think television adaptations have been getting better and better. Right, by and yeah, large. I agree. By and large, I, I heard uh, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, was it Power of the Ring or something? Rings the, of Power. Yeah, Rings I heard it was power. good. I didn't watch it yet. <laughs> that. Uh-oh. Anyways, I. So no, 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 no. I mean, it was fine. People, so what I would say is that um, it's so Jim. This is an interesting conversation. Where Tolkien, uh, his so his work. So basically, Mordor. This is what's so cool. Is there was I believe he's Russian. He's a Russian writer that reframed it. That what if what if uh, it was told from Mordor's perspective? It's English. It's English. Yeah. The retelling. You understand what I'm saying? No, I think it's the oh no! Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. No, no. I'm saying uh, uh, yeah, the yeah, guy, I know what you're the writer about. is taking the perspective yeah. from Mordor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, not of Rings of Power. No, 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 no. I've heard this as well. So yeah. I'm saying uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, he told the story, and basically it, it's a parable for a lot of different things, but the division of the world, essentially Mordor and what we're talking about with Gondor, it's Constantinople, Istanbul. Yeah. Because oh, you look yeah. at the men of Far Harad and Near Harad, when they talk about it and the cultural like purview and whatnot, they're all basically like Arabs or like yep. they're supposed to be Africans. Yeah. Uh, they get like conscripted. So it's told from his world uh, view where like the West is the best and like they say, and that's interesting. And that's why uh, uh, George R. R. Martin inverts a lot of that, which is what's interesting about his work. But what I was going to say, and the interesting one is this, is that someone else, like a, like a fanfic by uh, the Slavic dude, uh, wrote, it's like, what if Mordor, because we need constantly the othering of some yep. sort of enemy, what if it was told from their perspective where that's all essentially propaganda? Yeah. Because and all, the elves were enemies. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and all nation states have this, where they have to have that shared agreement of what happened Common historically. Enemy. Right, so you need the, that's other that we don't know anything about, right? And that's, and that's where things like you know Game of Thrones gets interesting. But if we want to talk about Tolkien for a second, is the Silmarillion, which is like the first age with the Noldor and so on and so forth, and Morgoth, where some very you're fascinating a nerd. Things. I could go all the way, man. I've because <laughs> you I've, know the only other nerd that goes as hard as you, who who's very intellectual, Simon aesthetics. Oh yeah, no, we Simon t- goes hard on Lord so of the Rings. You want to hear something? I sunned him, yeah. and I'll I'll say that here because he <laughs> on Facebook because I said something he thought. He thought I wasn't about the Silmarillion because I said a reference, and yeah. I went because it was real time or conversation. I just dunked on him because <laughs> and you know what's funny is because I'm interested, and that's why I like uh, Jim like cinema. I know what it's like growing up in the West. I've I've read 
the greatest Western cultural works. Yeah. So I'm familiar with the fantasy, the sci-fi. I want to learn about everywhere else, right. right? And so I think having a plethora of ideas is always healthy. But the point of what I was going to say is the Silmarillion is fascinating. Uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings as books. And then Peter Jackson's adaptations stand apart. And there's some hardcore J.R.R. Tolkien fans that don't like some of the film adaptations, which is fine. I think, I think they're very good. But the Rings of Power is like a further extension into the Peter Jackson style and then some. And just the way that it was told, which is so... Like, I didn't know that was a Gilgalad. Like, I, I didn't... Like, it didn't register a lot of the things in my head of who the characters were supposed to be yeah. and how they were telling. And that's completely fine. But I think the difference with The Rings of Power, Last of Us, new uh, piece of work, it's a video game. It doesn't have this, like, you know, 100-year history. So it doesn't have as much yeah. baggage. Um, it's the, the care and attention you bring to the work that you're doing. Yeah. Right? And that that that's the one I question about Rings of Power. Or even that's why with the new Star Wars, what made me yeah. so sad... Uh, about them because you know i do regard like empire strikes back fantastic like new hope so on and so forth is that there was no clear intention behind them yeah. like i think george lucas with the prequels he knew the story he wanted to tell he didn't execute it but there's a story there uh -huh. there is a shakespearean tragedy like the beats are there like yeah. bah, 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 here's yeah. the plot okay and they didn't have an agreed upon what the new trilogy would be about which is unfathomable yeah, yeah. they were taking over a multi-billion dollar franchise and, and didn't know what they were doing i i I will say that Andor is kind of the best thing that's come out of the the the, the Disney ownership of of Lucasfilm era. Uh, for me personally, I fucking loved it. It was amazing TV, and it really um, really set up the whole why why are people rebelling? Why were people rebelling at the at the, at the beginning? And in a way that uh, the first trilogy did not. And that you know, see, I would have to watch that because, like, this is what yeah, happens. I haven't watched it either. It's uh, it's uh, what is it? The Boy Who Cried Wolf style, where I've consumed now so much Star Wars content, uh, like new Star Wars content. Yeah. Not only have I become jaded, but it's made the world feel so. The the best part about world building when it's done successfully is that the world seal seems infinite, right? When you start exploring and thinking about like, wow, like I wonder about this, I wonder about this place, I wonder about this, like who's Boba Fett? And then they start answering some of these intangibles yeah. and the world feels smaller and smaller because not only is it predictable, but it's poorly executed. So my buy-in for new Star Wars material has degraded, unfortunately, over time. But I, did I like, like what uh, you're saying, man. I like Obi. It was fine. It yeah, just I like wasn't, Obi. It just, it was, it was not on a, on a level... Uh, I don't know. It it, it 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 there are things about it that bothered me. I liked seeing Ewan McGregor back, and yeah, that's good. kind of that's sort of the beginning and ending of it. To go back to your point about Rings Talk of Power, you. though, um, uh, I pieced out after the second or third episode. Really, I watched yeah. the whole thing, but like an important point, I th I think that in in adaptation is that in 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 all the previous versions Mordor is just there yep. and it's like this is just how this part of the world is in rings of power it it's created for a reason it's created because this adar guy is uh trying to protect the orcs from the sun basically he was trying to create a a homeland for the orcs so they could walk around during the day it's like an like, evolutionary sense yeah it's like oh well that actually that seems motivated yeah. that i i get that that's like that was probably the um Maybe the smartest moment of adaptation in that whole thing. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I like it was fine. It was fine. The the I was more comfortable with it than I was with the with the Game of Thrones extension. Yeah. See that I'll, I'll eventually work because I I, saw, I read a lot of uh, fantasy like in my youth, and then uh, I will eventually 
work my way towards it. Not that I don't like unfinished works. Um, like uh, this guy, Nikolai Gogol, he has uh, this book, Dead Souls, that is worth a read, but he literally died before it was completed. Oh, shit. Oh, and I yeah. do have something, because I, like I like to see the full circle moment right. of a work and the fact that he hasn't finished Game of Thrones. And so you'll be left, not on a, I, it's fine to be left on a cliffhanger, but I want to understand the musical whole. There's a lot of things. There's like, uh, there's a song by a Coltrane, like Giant Steps, that when you hear the ending, in it, 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 it really frames what transpired before. And so I think for a lot of people, they want to see what happens. Right. And so if this guy's on what, uh, it's like book four of like seven or book five or whatever the mountain, and it might, because he's, he's like 70 now or he's yeah. like 80. He's yeah, like, what now? Are you going to complete it? I'm like, I don't know. So that's my only hesitation. I don't think he wants to. I think that's part of the problem. I think it's it got hard. And, and especially with the series getting beyond what was was already written down. Yeah, now you got so many eyes on you. Yeah. It's a different pressure to create. No. Yeah. Well, and the whole end of, of Game of Thrones. You know what, balls, well, so. you know what's funny though, Jim? I think that's, as far as I understand, I haven't looked into this at all because I'm like, for Game of Thrones, super casual. Like, I think, I think those are the major beats that he wanted, not the way it was told. Yeah. If that makes sense. Where, where uh, Jon Snow is that perpetual like, doesn't want to be king, will not be king, is comfortable just in the, the wilderness retreating into himself. Uh, so on and so forth, and and Daenerys was always a flawed character. That's I, I like I like all the women that identified or men that identified with Daenerys like that. Like she's my queen. I'm like yeah. she's a flawed character. Yeah, she's out of her brand. Yeah. It's it's how they portrayed her downfall. Those too quick and didn't make sense. But yeah. that, that's yeah, why yeah, I wonder. It was just all rushed. I I wonder. Uh, like I think by and large, like the points or like uh, what was it called? The the dude in the north that warned the, those over like that. Like it was yeah, the silliest yeah, yeah. thing ever. Yeah. And the, and the, it was all the, it was a six season build up for a ten minute fight. Yeah, and then the plot armor that people had were like this guy like anyways yeah we don't have to uh, dissect that there's time but i do i do i do wonder about uh people when you consume so much content and then not that it like uh, makes you jaded but like who's the content for then yeah and that's why i was gonna say about the star wars like if people enjoy it and it's their star wars and like even like the new trilogy it's fine like I, i'm not gonna be like you're a, like you're a loser for believing that it's okay the first one and the, and the second one are the first one and the third one suck, and I thought the second one sucked until I gave it a little space, went back to it. It's like, okay, actually, this is really good. The Last Jedi? Uh, I uh, forgot the names. Yeah, Last Jedi. Last, Last Jedi. Jedi. No. That, that's yes, the one Last with, Jedi. Uh, with that Ryan Johnson. Johnson, yeah. So I'm going to be honest, uh, is that I thought, I'm going to agree with Jim. I, th I thought the first one was way too much of a retread, Yeah, and the characters that, were uninspired. They had just, to do it to fucking get the 12-year-olds in the Star Wars. And, and that's what they say. But So here's the thing. So I'm going deep now, because let's go into Star Wars for a second here. KOTAR, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, Obsidian Entertainment made the second one, has some of the best besides like the yeah. the legendary like extended like uh, uh, book universe. Yeah. Star Wars characters and ideas, which shows you could tell new viable stories that bring something not only yeah. new to the table but feel like star wars yeah. like kotar probably to me knights of the old republic one and two is the most star wars feeling thing besides i, I haven't watched like Andor and whatnot besides like the original trilogy so it's possible so I, I i don't like laziness the second one i thought it was interesting where he tried to invert and subvert expectations um and I thought he was dealing... I, I think killing Snoke was actually not a bad idea because Snoke was, once again, just a built-up mythical character that meant nothing. Um, so at least he tried something new. And then the third one was... I think the third one's dumpster fire, personally. Uh, the first one, well, yeah. if, if you're if you're kind of just like watching it yeah. sort of for entertainment, you could take something. And then the two, it's like, oh, there there's some like maybe new yeah. ideas. How are they executed? And then like, what are the greater implications? But I'm, I'm actually confident due to the response and 
be because there's large corporate heads thinking about this and thinking about future profits, that they'll probably uh, like retcon uh, that trilogy yeah. within 20, 30 years, I think. Yeah, they said it, they won't, but I think they will. I, I think that they will too. Uh, th- another example from the science fiction genre, um, uh, Star Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, they they brought Picard back. Yes. And it is a follow-up to the next generation, you know, the most successful Star Wars, or sorry, Star Trek, period. And yep. and then their, the four movies or whatever. Yep. Didn't have a good ending because the last movie sucked balls. Because, because people um, thought, oh, we need to do something super dramatically different and it needs to be like this and whatever, whatever. And it was awful. Yeah. Um, and the first two seasons of Picard are the same story. Like, oh, we need to not go back to the original characters that everybody loved. We need to create new characters from fucking scratch yeah. and underwrite them and have all these tremendous plot holes and make dramatic changes to the to the main character that are unmotivated, just just to throw shit against the wall to see if something will stick. And then I actually just saw the, the first episode of the third season, oh, which is the last... Say, I'm working my way through Picard season one. Go on. Yeah, it sucks balls. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, not 100% sucks balls. There are things that are, that are good about it. But the third one is like, okay, this is what we should have done in the first place. This is what people actually wanted to see. So, so sorry, the third season, episode one, good actually? Yeah, very good. Because you know what I was going to say, uh, Jim? So I I am uh, a Star Trek fan. My favorite one actually, low-key, is Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know why? Like, I, I don't know how deep, like, so one thing I'll say, I do have to use the washroom a little bit. I know I'm saying that uh, no, live, no, but that's fine. No, no, we can wrap her up. But, no, no, but, but uh, th- this is some cool shit to talk about, is that because I think Deep Space Nine, you know the treatment, Michael Straczynski, he wrote for Babylon 5, and yeah. they totally did take a lot yeah. of the plot points. They ripped it right off. They yeah. were very different for the Star Trek, but I think it's good because, let's be honest, uh, the Federation is analogous to America in terms of like how they're exp- and the way they saw it. And Deep Space Nine added complexity where there's the Cardassians, which were clear. Like basically every other alien species uh, is not as good as the Federation. And even the Vulcans who are intellectually superior are emotionally dead. So there's always a flaw. Yeah. It's kind of like you, you play an RPG and the human uh, uh, race is always like yeah, the, the default. Perfect medium. Yeah. Every, everyone else like elves are like, well, like if, if it's like more winter, we're not like yeah. they're smart, but yeah, uh, like physically, physically weak. Yeah. Right, right. So humans are the standard. So Deep Space Nine changed a lot of things expanded it deepened the lore they made like so klingons as an example the whole thing with like martok and like warf warf became a 3d character warf in uh i love so next generation to me like they're both exceptional in their own different way mm. but like warf was the wolverine of that series where intruder would come be like go to strike it get smoked and that's it yeah and they never established and someone had a compilation of season one it's amazing where like they never established because he's supposed to be this big fearsome uh uh, uh what do you call it klingon that he never like won any battles, so you never got the sense that he was this formidable like warrior, uh-huh. which is hilarious. But anyways, so uh, DS Nine, love what they did, and they showed that there's more room to grow, and that's why Voyager, like to me, like Voyager's flawed uh, in many ways. DS Nine was almost a pinnacle where they even brought in a religious, a, a spiritual, which was yeah. very interesting, almost like Frank Herbert esque with the Bajorans and the uh, what do you call it, the wormhole. Very cool, and then uh, the Dominion. So the Borg are ex- are an existential threat. Where they never really flushed them 
really out like they're trying, like just assimilation uh, resistance is futile whereas the dominion it was a power play that was predicated upon they were not the solids the changelings that they were always persecuted so their next logical thought in their head was that to never be persecuted we must control everything mm. which if you follow down like it, it kind of like logically makes sense so the dominion's intriguing the whole next generation in ds9 are rich for sci-fi stories and so I was holding out on Picard. I've only watched a few episodes, but what I'd say, uh, Jim, my new uh, my new attitude, that's what I was just going to come back to. After all this new media, sequels, and so on and so forth, I have divested myself, bro, of being emotionally invested in any of it that I'm watching it as an incredibly casual consumer. Yeah. And I'm such a big fan of Patrick Stewart and mm. Jean-Luc Picard. I think uh, Cisco and him are like the GOAT captains. I, th- I think like Kirk, like Kirk sucked. And like Janeway was good. Uh, but what I was going to say is that just to see Picard on screen again is refreshing to me. And the idea to see them reunited, even if they're like, you know, they're changing his character mm. and he's like that guy curmudgeon at the end of his days and like whatever. Yeah, it could be I, fun. It, it could be fun. If I was trying to uh, critically analyze it, I would completely feel different and I feel some type of way. And I'll say the spoiler alert about Nemesis. Data was my favorite character on Next Generation. They did such a disservice with his ending, like how he came to his end. It could have been so emotionally poignant. And so that's why they're almost trying to revisit that, obviously, on Picard, where his relationship with Data and all the episodes, bro, where Picard was ready to peace out of the Federation. See, those parts make sense, where he's like, belay that order to the... the, admiral uh-huh. where he was willing to stand up for his friend data to prove that he was in fact a sentient like he was worthy of being treated like a sentient being and that his feelings and thoughts were valid beautiful stuff measure of a man yeah yes the episode measure of a man yeah yeah jim you understand no I, th- those are yeah go on sorry i get it no um yeah i uh i think that um oh my god what was the i was i was right on the verge of saying something important i probably I'm going to just let it go and say, bring us back because I have to pee too. Um, bring it back to the beginning of this. Uh, we talked about there being no weight classes in the jungle. Thank you. However, mosquitoes yes. carry dengue fever. That's yep. true. And de- they're very small. Yes. And they're very small. And and the virus is even smaller, right? True. And it kicks a lot of ass. So in some ways, there are no weight classes in the jungle. I like that. I like to end it. It's like, uh, yeah, you think you're the strongest one. I'm like, that thing will kill you in a heartbeat. True. <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, where can people find you, buddy? Uh, 50% facts. Nice. I'm here uh, once every several years, but I'll, I'll try and make it more frequent. That'd yeah. be nice. Yeah. Monthly. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, new episode Wednesday, Friday. Check us out, 3sb.co for all your clothing. Uh, goodcompanydiscord.com if you want to join the conversation. Uh, automatic link to our Discord, so join that. And I'm Salam Mike, where you want me to find me? I'm at the Jim McD on all the social media. This show is 50% Facts, where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. 50% Facts is a Spreaker Prime podcast in association with iHeartMedia on the Obscure Celebrity Network. And we'll talk to you Friday.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.